Find out why Kiplinger calls the Roth IRA one of the smartest money moves a young person can make. Download our white paper on the basics of the Roth IRA. Go to yourmoneyyourwealth.com, click special offer, and it's yours free. Find out what the Roth IRA is, how it's different than a traditional IRA, whether or not you're eligible to contribute, how much you can contribute, and learn how your money could be growing and compounding tax-free forever. Click special offer at yourmoneyyourwealth.com to download the Roth IRA Basics White Paper, your free gift from Your Money, Your Wealth. The sell in May has not worked, I think, for four out of the last five years. So I don't think people will stick with a system that underperforms for that long. And when you're a timer, you are wrong so often. That's the nature of that strategy. And most investors just don't like being wrong that often. That's nationally recognized mutual fund index investing and asset allocation authority, Paul Merriman of the Merriman Financial Education Foundation. Today on Your Money, Your Wealth, Paul gives us the truth on market timing versus buy and hold. And he explains why he still does both. Plus, answers to your questions on collecting Social Security and a pension, rolling and converting IRA money, and podcast listener Clint gets the answer to his question on whether there are financial perks to getting married before the end of the year. Now, here are Joe Anderson, CFP, and Big Al Clopine, CPA. we got Paul Merriman coming on a little bit later. Stick around for that interview uh, because we taped it earlier in... Since I listened to it, I'm telling you, it was, it was pretty good. You've already heard it? I've already heard it. Wow. So I already know what's so, coming so, up. So should I listen to it as you well? You were with me. Oh, that's so, right. I already heard it. <laughs> it was pretty good. <laughs> Question. This is uh, from Clint. Clint. Eastwood? Yes. Oh, nope. Doesn't say. Nope. Eastwood. Hey, Joe. Big Al. My question is about marriage. Okay. I have found the woman of my dreams. This is a question for you. And I plan on asking her to marry me very soon. Pending an answer of yes, are there any financial benefits to getting married before the end of 2018? We plan on eloping to save some money and not burden our family and friends. Thank you for the awesome podcast, Clint. So it could be a December elopement or January elopement, depending, That's upon, what, yeah, Clint, depending upon our answer. Yes, he found um, his uh, dream boat here. And so he's really in love yes. because it's, hey, I could push this thing off until January of next year if need be. The, the last time I gave advice on when to get married, I got in trouble by the, the gal's family. I remember that. They were supposed to get married in November on a cruise. And I said, you might want to push it out to next year. Anyway, I'm still, what the heck? <laughs> that was a couple years ago. <laughs> So, so I would say this, Clint, a, a couple things. The answer is it depends, which is the answer for most things. But uh, here, here's what you got to consider. If your um, fiancé, let's say, is not working or, or, or doesn't make a lot of income, then all things being equal, you probably would be better off being married because the married rates, although they're the same as the single rates, it takes a lot longer to get up into the higher rates. In other words, you can make a lot more income and still be in lower rates. For example, the taxable income for a single person is about $37,000, $38,000, and you're still in the 12% bracket. But when you're married, the 12% bracket goes up to 77,000 of income. Almost so, 80 grand. Yeah. So, so in other words, if your fiance is not making 
a lot of money, or maybe you're not making a lot of money and your fiancé is, then, yeah, that would probably be, uh, at least from a tax standpoint, a, a good idea. Yeah, now, and that 22% goes to about $160,000 of income married, $80,000 single. Exactly. So let's say, you know, Clint, you're making forty grand, and she's making one hundred twenty. Right. Well, then you kind of do the math there, and it's like, well, if she would file single and you file single, well, you would pay less tax. She would pay a lot more. But if you filed married, both of you would file, would pay less tax. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's a consideration there. there. There's other things to think about, but that's 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 maybe the first thing. The second thing, though, is now let's say you're both making a good income, for example, and what tends to happen there is you tend to push yourself up in higher brackets, and unfortunately, not everything is cut in half. In other words, a lot of the marriage brackets are cut and have to for single, but not all of them. And the same thing for certain phase-outs. So in general, if you're both making a good income, you, you, you do a little bit better filing single. But I, I can't guarantee that. You have to do some tax projections to figure this out for sure. He's found the woman of his dreams, Al. Well, he's asking me. He said... <laughs> He says, I'm going to see. W- well, see. well, now you're telling him. He's like, well, you know what? I, we both make a killing. So you're telling me if, if we get married, I'm going to have to pay more tax. He's just looking, hey, if, if I just push this thing off a couple of months. Yeah, so I'm saying. You're saying no forever. No, I say that. <laughs> Don't do it, Clint. Be like me, man. I'm be, single. It'd be like Such Joe. Such a good time. I've been you're married. Just lonely at night, you know. I've been, I've been, cry yourself to sleep. I've been married 30 years and uh, paying, paying more than my fair share of taxes for long time. I've been uh, single for 43 years, and I'm the happiest guy in the room right now. (laughs) (laughs) I beg to differ on that one. Uh, Hopefully that helps, Clint. We really appreciate you taking the time to email us. Your Money, Your Wealth listeners, if you've got a money question, you can email us just like Clint did at info at purefinancial.com, or you can call 888-994-6257, and Joe and Big Al can answer your question live during Your Money, Your Wealth. Whether it's about taxes, investing, preparing your portfolio for market volatility, or timing your wedding for the maximum financial benefit, there's a pretty good chance these fellas can give you the insight that will help you make better money moves. Email info at purefinancial.com or call 888-994-6257. That's info at purefinancial.com or call 888-994-6257. Now let's address one of the most common questions in investing. Should you try to time the market or should you buy and hold? Hey, welcome back to the show. The show's called Your Money or Wealth. Joe Anderson here, certified financial planning professional with Big Al Clopine. He's a CPA. Thanks for tuning in. Big Al, it's that time again, Bob. It is. I can't wait. We actually have one of our absolute favorite guests on. The legend, Paul Merriman. I know, right? I, I just got goosebumps saying that. <laughs> I got goosebumps hearing it. <laughs> and I can't talk because I'm laughing so hard. Oh <laughs> uh, Well, thanks for taking the time, Paul. It's been a while since you've been on, so it's, it's always a pleasure having you on. You always have very interesting things we can talk about. You do so much for the industry. You do so much for the public. I personally just want to thank you. Um, some of the articles and the books that you've written, uh, your podcast, you just bring a wealth of information and knowledge uh, to a very well-needed um, audience. And I think that's professionals and the public. So thank you very much for what you do, Paul. Thank you. I, I really appreciate that. And I got to tell you, I absolutely love what you guys are doing. I just think you are right cutting edge doing the best thing that uh, – a firm can do for their clients. Well, I appreciate that, and uh, now we're getting goosebumps. 
So. <laughs> well, my wife just left the room, so yeah, we can talk. <laughs> I got it. Now you can be honest, right? Yeah. <laughs> There's always a lot of discussion in the market about what's the best way to invest. Is it, should people just buy and hold and forget about it, or should we market time? Should we be in and out? And and I know you you've had a lot of history in the market and and and. and coaching others and with your own investments and and how what, what would you say um, I guess based upon that and and because uh, a lot of people right now the market's so high people are wondering should I get out well I think Paul too is right selling may go away um, you know we're, we're in the first week of May and what, what, uh, what do you think about that well I never used a market timing system and I should I should be up front here I half of my retirement account is market timing and half is buy and hold I happen to believe in both, but I don't think one out of a hundred individuals will ever get it right uh, without professional help. And for what it's worth, most of the professional market timers cheat on their systems. So uh, there's a lot of neat things about timing, but the fact is there's a lot of bad stuff about timing, but selling may and go away. The idea of having market timing is to protect against a catastrophic event. Let's just say that's the, the primary purpose. And that's why it's in my portfolio. But if that is the primary purpose, you go back into the market in October, and it is absolutely possible that that six-month period that you're in the market, the market could go down 50%. And for what it's worth, the sell in May has not worked, I think, for four out of the last five years. So I don't think people will stick with a system that underperforms for that long. And yet with buy and hold, and this is what I like about buy and hold, the buy and holder knows their day is coming and they just need to be patient. They don't have to worry about being in or out. They're more tax efficient. It's lower cost. And when you're a timer, you are wrong so often even the best timers make mistakes that's the nature of that strategy and the public most investors just don't like being wrong that often paul tell me a little bit about your strategy when it comes to timing what are, what are you looking for um are you overweight underweight equities um tell us a little bit about what your what your overall outlook or, or thought is of the overall market well, it's, it starts with the portfolio that you hold. And with buy and hold, and I'm very similar, I think, to what you guys do, and, and, and that is I've got in my own portfolio, I've got big and small and value and growth in U.S. and international and REITs and emerging markets, all great asset classes. And I never know when they're going to catch on fire or when they're going to be in the doghouse. That's the nature of a diversified portfolio. I do the same thing with timing. My portfolio is a combination of all those same kind of assets, certainly not with DFA funds because they wouldn't allow that to, to, to be done with their funds. So I've got huge diversification, and then I may have as many as 100 different ETFs or no-load mutual funds, each one being tracked with a trend-following, moving average kind of a system that is completely mechanical, completely unemotional, and because they're not great all the time, they drive people nuts. 
So a couple years ago, Paul, you wrote uh, an article and talked about mechanical market timing, but you also said that uh, the bad news is it doesn't work for most investors. And why is that? Well, I guess, first of all, what is it? And then second, why, why doesn't it work? Well, the reason it doesn't work, these uh, almost any market timing system, by the way, is because they come in with the wrong expectations. They think that market timing is going to make more money than buy and hold. It is not designed to make more money than buy and hold. I'll tell you how you can do it in a second. But the, the, the basic timing approach means that if you are getting in and out of the market and you're getting you're going to cash part of the time and you're in equities part of the time, you're going to reduce the risk. Most people think timing increases the risk. It doesn't. It reduces the amount of time you're in the market. But when a market is going up, you are not going to be able to catch that wave and stay in that on that wave because timing's going to kick you out of the market sometimes. And then you got to get back in at a price higher than you last got out. Yeah, people really like that. And then you have two or three trades in a row on a particular asset class that are they're losing trades. It's a lot of pain that most people can't take because there is no actual evidence that all this work with timing will work out. It doesn't have the same long-term trend that buy and hold does. So you might have 10 different market timing systems, and it may be that four of them do okay and six of them don't. Now, with buy and hold, I don't care whether maybe some people have U.S. only and some international only and all big or all small or whatever it is. Probably almost every one of those buy and hold systems, if you want to call it that, is going to work in the long term. But the timer, it's all about a pattern. And we don't know what kind of pattern we're going to have. Will they be short ups and downs, long up and downs? Will they... Will they be faking out, faking you out, and kicking you out, and then you got to get back in? You just don't know. So you've got to believe, if you're going to use trend-following market timing, that what you're defending against is what happened to me in 1987, a month before the market crashed. I was in cash. I did not call that bear market, that big 22% one-day decline. I didn't call it. The system had simply kicked me out, and when I was out, I, I made money while others were losing. But Dick Fabian, he had money under management that didn't get out until the next week after that one-day crash. So, and I'm not, by the way, I'm not picking on him. If he did what his system said to do, what you'd find out is his system was slower than my system. So some systems are very slow. Some are more responsive to market turns. There's just a lot to know, and the fact is, when it's not working, people give up hope. And the other thing that drives me nuts is people say market timing doesn't work, but when I look carefully, they're all using what I call the S uh, ICSIA, the I can't stand it anymore timing system, and I don't think that works. <coughs> but yeah, that's, that's the way that's... most people time. For a transcript of this podcast and to catch up on any episodes you may have missed, visit yourmoneyyourwealth.com. While you're there, you can access white papers, articles, webinars, and hundreds of video clips on tax planning, investing, retirement planning, social security, estate planning, small business strategies, and more in our learning center. 
Plus, we've got clips and full episodes of the Your Money, Your Wealth TV show, just in case you're dying to see what Joe and Big Al look like. Get up to speed on just about every money topic that affects you and subscribe to the podcast. It's all at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. Joe Anderson here, certified financial planner with Alan Culpine. He's a CPA. Thanks a lot for tuning in. We're talking to the great Paul Merriman. He's a nationally recognized authority in mutual funds, index funds, asset allocation. Check out paulmerriman.com. You know, Paul, I think that the key component of this is that you have to, you're buying into a certain system and you're buying into the risk. And so, uh, and I think that has to do with any type of portfolio construction is that let's say if you have a, a well-diversified portfolio that's tilted towards small in value, such as our portfolios here and in some of your portfolios, and if value is having a three, four, five-year stint where it's not necessarily outperforming growth as the long-term tr- history will tell you it should, um, you know, people will give up on that particular strategy at the absolute worst time. And I think it's true with timing. If I if I have a, a market system that I'm following on, and I, you're right, people will cheat it. The emotion will, will come into play. The system will tell you one thing, but then your intuition or your gut feeling might tell you another thing, and so you'll cheat the system. And I think that's why most market timers don't necessarily perform. It's just because it's, it's human nature to, to, to get the hell out of the way when a train is coming at you. And so you might not believe the system in certain areas of the overall market. So you have to be 100% totally bought into the system and check your emotions, I guess, at the door. Totally. Totally. And the reality is that most people on their own won't do it. And, and, and you're right. The intuition wants to say, hey, wait a minute. What does this mechanical system know about what's going on in Korea or, or, what, or, or what's going on in the Middle East or what's going on in the, in, in the economy? Uh, how, what does it know? And so you start overriding your system with your common sense, which is nonsense, by the way. And I don't use any of that in my buy and hold either. I think you just got to let all that noise out of your life if you're going to be a buy and holder or if you're going to be a mechanical timer. Well, I mean, the, the the whole behavior of finance has now such a, a, a play. Um, I like your article um, that that you wrote. Market Watch is like this is what investors should uh, should really be afraid of. Um, and you get into Zweig's book, and you know, there's there's so many interesting tidbits when you look at how the behavioral aspect of investing is. I mean, you know, for no reason at all, what I think there was this company, what, Computer Literacy, uh, rose 33% in just one day because they changed their name to, to fatbrain.com. Oh. I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sto- stories like this are, are, are hilarious. There, there, there's no academic reason for it. It's just we're not equipped emotionally, I think, to, to, to deal with money uh, because as soon as we get a little, we're twice as fearful to lose a dollar than we are to gain a dollar. But we're, there, there's yep. still that greed factor involved, too. And let's take it one more step. The poor people who are buying actively managed funds, what they don't realize, they know that they're a little bit crazy and have found themselves as an investor to do things that were emotion-based rather than um, intellectually based. Well, guess what? So do professional managers allow their emotions to become part of the decision-making process. So what you have is, Probably a a position in a very fine asset class, but that asset class is being fooled with by the amateur and by the professional. 
And so you have two forces that are both on their own damning historic historically, but you're you're putting trying to take two wrongs and make a right? I don't think so. <laughs> well said. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's a, a, a good point. And and so so Paul, what now? Uh, so so what you're talking about? Buy and hold is a, is a great strategy, and timing can be, but it's hard to implement. And so what what should the average investor do, in in your opinion? I think it's dirt simple. I think you, you, you have somebody help you if you can't do it yourself, or you have somebody check you if you've done it yourself to make sure you do know the rate of return you need, and you need to know your risk tolerance and all those kinds of things that help yourself or somebody else understand who you are. And then you put together a portfolio that addresses within your personal limitations built to, to create that return and to address that risk tolerance, and you keep your hands off. And if you have the ability to rebalance your portfolio on your own, and interestingly, as easy as that is, so few people do it, and you let somebody do that for you if you can't do it yourself. But I think that, that, that being a successful investor has absolutely never been simpler than today. We have low-cost index funds. We have massively diversified funds that all the evidence leads us to believe that you'll make more with more diversification rather than less with more diversification. And today, an investor can create this massively diversified portfolio with $1,000. You could do with $1,000 today what it would have taken when I went into the business in the mid-60s it would have taken a million dollars to recreate what you can do for a thousand today. And the problems, and you guys just mentioned it, it's the person you look at in the mirror when you get up in the morning. And if you haven't read Jason Zweig's Your Money and Your Brain, make that the first next book you read because it is filled with all the evidence that any of us should know that when it comes to money, most of us are nuts. Yeah, and and I think sometimes when people hear this, so okay, I'm I'm diversified, and they buy four different S and P five hundred funds, and think, okay, I've got it. Yeah. I want to just leave one one little piece of time that people would just look at it because we're all worry, worried that we're going to get into something, and about the time we need it to do something good for us, it does something bad to us. And I just want people to know who are sitting on just the S and P five hundred. That for the 10 years from 2000 to 2009, it basically lost 1% a year. Now, what does that do to somebody who was using the S&P 500 only during that period of time to start their retirement? On the other hand, a portfolio big and small and value and growth in U.S. and international, et cetera, that compounded at about 7 to 9%, depending on how you constructed that portfolio. That's with more diversification, not less. Hey, Paul, tell us, um, well, we got a few minutes left here. Well, first of all, are you in um, Seattle or are you in Mexico? I'm on Bainbridge Island, actually. That's where we live. <laughs> well, don't you, you spend, what, the winters? What was being, um, in, in Mexico, don't you? Not this year. Next January, <laughs> February, <laughs> March. I'll be down there with my... 
I don't know, what do they call it, a virgin mar- a margarita? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll be there. I was uh, Lose, just... Wait, on a diet, losing weight, of course. Yeah, yes, of course. Yes. I, I, I was just in Cabo San Lucas celebrating our 30th uh, wedding anniversary. And, uh, oh. Yeah, uh, cervezas is what we had. Or at least that's what I had. Yes. Yeah, nice. <laughs> nice. When um, a couple of resources... I, I, I saw that you're doing some work with um, M1 Finance, which... Um, I'm a fan of is that people now just to piggyback a little bit about what you said is that now a a smaller investor could get a globally diversified portfolio with you know just a few dollars, um, which I think the advancements yeah hundred bucks and you know what we've done there to try to help young investors we've created target date portfolios. They're not target date funds, but they're a portfolio made up of other funds, just like Vanguard's uh, target date fund is a fund made up of other funds. But it's built with the kind of stuff you'd like. Lots of small cap and value in the early years. We even have one of our target date funds that's 2085 for the child who's being born today. Don't wait. Get them started right now. And as you know, that's a commission-free environment and uh, for a hundred bucks and commission free, it's a great way to get started. Uh, t- tell our listeners a couple of more resources where they can go to to get a little bit more education and information from the great Paul Merriman. Well, on our website, over I think about th- three hundred articles and another three hundred podcasts, and and uh, we have com- portfolios at Vanguard, Fidelity, T. Rowe Price, Schwab, free portfolios for for people to track. Uh, We have 401k plans. I think we're up to about 140 401k plans that I've analyzed and put up my recommendations. And you might have some listeners who take a look at the the companies that we've done that for. And if they work for a big company and their company's up there, is not up there, they just email Paul at Paul Merriman dot com and say, look, Paul, I don't want you taking off any time this weekend until you get done with this 401k plan. <laughs> and then I'm going to have my wife call him. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, folks, check out Paul online at paulmerriman.com. Uh, there's a, a ton of great resources um, on that for if you are uh, just a novice starting to figure out exactly where to find an advisor if you wanted to hire one, you know, how not to get... I guess screwed in this industry is is one of your books, Paul, um, or just figuring out. Hey, I got a four hundred one k plan. How should I allocate this? Um, or I want to construct my own portfolio. Or if you want to go to M one Finance, uh, there, there's a ton of really good information. Check it out, paulmerriman.com. Paul, it's always a great pleasure to have you on. I know you're a busy guy. You're probably working harder in retirement than you ever have when you were working. Oh, by far, and it's great to work with you. Thanks for the opportunity. So how do you know if you should buy and hold or if you're capable of successfully timing the market? Making informed investing decisions actually requires a bit more than listening to your money, your wealth. If you're in Southern California or you're planning to visit soon, you can learn from our team in person at our two-day retirement courses or at our free monthly lunch and learn events. All of our classes are designed to give you the tools and confidence you need to help you plan the retirement you've always dreamed of in spite of market volatility. For dates, times, and locations for our lunch and learn events and our retirement classes in San Diego, Orange County, or Los Angeles, just visit the Learning Center at yourmoneyyourwealth.com or call 888-994-6257. That's 888-994-6257. 
we're way behind on a lot of different emails, so let's just get to work. This is from Mac, and Mac came and asked us this question. Matt or Mac? Mac. Mac. Okay. Yes. All right. So let's see here. His question starts, when doing a backdoor Roth conversion for my personal IRA, will my 401k IRA or after-tax dollars or my spouse SEP IRA come under the pro rata rule? So let me translate that. Yeah. I think he's it's a good. little confused. He's like, when I'm doing a backdoor Roth conversion, is my personal IRA... Um, or for, for my personal IRA. So he's got an IRA. He wants to do a backdoor. He did an IRA contribution, and he wants to convert it. Uh, will my 401k after-tax dollars or my spouse's SEP IRA come, over the, come under the pro rata rule? Also, after the backdoor conversion, if I make a traditional IRA contribution this year, will I have to convert that as well since it's the same calendar year? Or... If I wait after X amount of days to make the contribution, it will be excluded from the pro rata rule. So what say you? So he's just basically asking <laughs> yeah. some in-depth questions kind of, on... Kind of how this works. How, so, how the whole backdoor Roth works. Yeah, let's start with how it works, well, right? I, I think one of the things... We did a white paper on backdoor Roth IRA, so if you want more information on that, you can just go to purefinancial.com, and it will tell you all the pros and cons and everything that you need to do within it, but we'll just break it down Yeah, we'll, we'll kind of uh, go into summary now. So here's the idea, is that once your income is, is too high, married couple, it's 199000 for 2018. Single is, uh, what, 135-ish, somewhere in there. When you're over those amounts, you can no longer do a Roth contribution. That's $5,500 per person, an extra $1,000 if you're 50 and older, so $6,500 if you're 50 and older. But if your income is too high, you cannot do a direct Roth contribution. However, you can always do an IRA contribution as long as you're under 70 and a half years of age and you have earned income. And so what a lot of people do is they go ahead and do that, uh, that IRA contribution, and their income may be too high to actually take a deduction. So it's what we call a non-deductible IRA contribution. And then you turn around and convert that uh, IRA into a Roth, and because you never got a tax deduction, then you don't have to pay tax on the conversion. So it's a kind of a sneaky way to do a Roth contribution if your income is too high to kind of get around the rules. But Joe, there's some limitations which he's kind of alluding to. Yeah, there's a pro rata and aggregation rule. Pro rata and aggregation rule, all that means is that they aggregate all your different IRAs together. So if you do not have any other IRAs and you put in $6,500 if you're over 50 into a traditional IRA. The only limitations to putting money into an IRA is that you have to be under 70 and a half and you have to have earned income. Yeah, those two. Those right. two things. So if you're under 70 and a half and you have earned income, you can put $5,500 in or 65 if you're over 50. Now, if I make over the income limitations, as Big Al just alluded to, then I cannot take a deduction. It's called an after tax contribution. So if I do not have any other IRAs, I can convert that because 100% of my contribution is after tax. However, if I put in the $5,500 and I have $105,000 into a retirement account, well, roughly 5% of my IRA, so I have two different IRAs. One's $100,000, the other one's $5,000. $5,000 is after tax, $100,000 is pre-tax, $105,000 total in IRAs. So to keep the math simple, it's just like, okay, well, roughly 5% of my total IRAs is after tax, 95% is pre-tax. So if I did a conversion, 
Well, then 5% of the conversion, no matter what dollars I converted, would be after tax. 95 would be pre-tax. So the aggregation rules means, all right, well, everything is going to be included. The pro rata rule is to look at, well, how much is pre-tax versus after tax? And they do that percentage when you do the conversion. Yeah, and it doesn't matter. You can have 10 different IRAs. They add all the IRAs together as if they were a single account. Right. So that's the problem. If you have other IRAs, this is difficult to do effectively. Now, interestingly enough, they do not count your 401k, right? Or your 403b or other types of employer pension plans. So you might have a million dollars in a 401k and no IRA money. You can go ahead and do this. You're still okay to do it. It, it wouldn't matter if your spouse has IRAs. So let's say your spouse has many different IRAs. You don't have any IRAs. You can still do the back door. They're not going to look at a couple. Sometimes people think it's a joint account. Right. Well, yeah. Well, maybe if you pass, your spouse will inherit it. Or if you get a divorce, they'll take half of it. Right. But it's still a separate account. And so the IRS will still look at it separately in this instance. If you're saying, hey, I want to take an after-tax contribution and convert it, that's fine. They're not going to look at the spouses. Yeah, that's correct. And, and a little more uh, detail is your IRAs count. If you have a SEP IRA, it counts. Correct. If you have a simple IRA, it counts. If it has IRA in the name, it counts. It counts. Just, <laughs> just think of it that way. If it's your account and it has IRA in it, it counts right. for this aggregation rule. So, But 401k, oh, the pass the rule and there was no IRA in 401k. Now, we, we've seen this mistake, Joe, is people have no IRAs. They go ahead and, and do this strategy that we just mentioned. Then they retire from their job and they roll their 401k to an IRA in the same tax year. That blows the whole thing because they look at your total IRA balances at year end, not at the time where you do this backdoor Roth conversion. So going back to the second part of the question is that, all right, well, here, I have an after-tax contribution. Let's say I make that for last year. I'm holding it in my overall account. I want to convert it. But then I make another IRA contribution. They're going to take a look at the balance at 1231. And so the balance of 1231 is going to be like, okay, well, here I have $5,500 after tax. If you made another IRA contribution, let's say, but you wanted that to be pre-tax, well, then you got $11,000 in a retirement account. Well, then only 50% of your, con your, your backdoor conversion is going to be tax-free because you just doubled up. If you're going to convert both of them, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, that's right. And, and another thing is when you do this backdoor Roth, uh, I, back to a Roth contribution, we'll call it. You do the IRA contribution first. You can do that conversion virtually anytime you want. Now, we recommend that you wait a little while so that it's not done simultaneously, so there's some seasoning. Different advisors might say different things on that, but uh, uh, you, can, you can certainly do the conversion in the same year. You can do it the following year. You could do it 10 years later. It right. doesn't really matter when the conversion is. But you, you have to file the 8606 form, uh, which is an IRS form, uh, that then sh tells the IRS that you do have basis or after-tax dollars that are sitting in the overall account. Even when, and then also when you do conversions, um, that, that, that form is also needed. So a uh, few things there. Um, a follow-up question from a different listener, a good friend, Bob. Uh, Bob was like, hey, Joe, I have a question about rolling money from a non-deductible IRA to a Roth. I was thinking of opening a non-deductible IRA because I don't qualify for uh, traditional IRA due to income limitations. I already have a SEP IRA with about 50K in the account. If I open the non-deductible IRA 
and directly convert that money into a Roth IRA, will there be issue pro rata with the SEP IRA? The SEP and the non-deductible IRAs are with different companies. Thanks for your help. Yes. Well, uh, the answer is yes. You have a, an issue there because, again, we'll go back to what we just talked about. If it has the name IRA in your account and it's, it's, it's your account, not your spouse's, then that's going to count in the pro rata rule. So the whole $50,000 SEP, uh, which is probably pre-tax, will be included in this back to a Roth. And if you put $5,000 into a, into a non-deductible IRA, then it's a simple calculation of 5000 divided by 55000 which is somewhere around 10%. So somewhere around 10% of your conversion would be tax-free. 90% would be taxable. So, Bob, here's what you do. Here's the solution to your problem. You take your SEP IRA and you move that into a solo 401k plan. Um, you uh, can do that assuming, assuming you have no, a business. You, assuming you still have the business right. and assuming you don't have any employees. Yes, right. right. Yeah, a couple caveats. So, but if he's got 50000 bucks in the SEP, I'm guessing... A small business, it's maybe. a small business, yeah. you know, a little yeah. side gig. Yeah. I don't right. know. Uh, but if you do not have any other 401k plans, if you are a sole proprietor or, you know, if, if you're a single operator of your business um, and you still have the business, move the SEP into a solo 401k plan. The solo 401k plan then is excluded from the pro rata rule because yeah. it does not have IRA in it, right? So it's 401k. So uh, that would help the cause there. Uh, but but do, do you realize, if, if let's just say it was a side business, and let's say he also was employed with a 401k, Correct. you can't, in future, you can't double up on 401k contributions. It would be 18500 total. Total. Or 24500 total if you're 50 and older. Good point. So if, if I worked for um, a company, a, a large company, General Dynamic, has a 401k plan, I'm putting my money into that, but then I have a small consulting business that I'm, uh, and I have a few clients on the side, and it's like, all right, well, here, let me set up another solo 401k plan. Yeah, so I can you, double up on it? Yeah, you couldn't double up on it. You could set up a SEP plan yes. um, within that, and the maximum defined contribution limit for a strategy like that is around 54000 bucks in a given year. Yeah, right. Um, so you can put more money into defined contribution plans, but you just can't have two 401k plans. Yes, and, and one more caveat that, that with the set, 54000 would be the upper limit, but it's also limited to 20% of your income. So you'd have to have a couple hundred thousand dollars of income or two fifty to make this work. I'm sure Bob does. I'm sure Bob does. Yeah, Bob's a yeah, player. Right, right. right? Yeah. He's, he's out there. He's, yeah. he's, he's hustling. Yeah. Um, let's see. We got, uh, yeah, we got time for one more. What the hell? <laughs> okay. Um, well, this is from Elaine. And she's a, t- a TV show fan here oh, at okay, good. After watching your show, um, I thought you would be the perfect person to answer my question. Well, thank you, Elaine. Did she listen to you or me? Info. Info. So yes. either, either of us. <laughs> you being all right. Well, then you no. You're answering the question. <laughs> I am a substitute teacher with STIRS and Social Security. Got it. Is there a way I can collect both? I'll let you answer that. See, I knew it. Because <laughs> I saw that question. I would muddle through that. You're better at that. She than goes, me. I would be willing to collect one after the other runs out. Okay. Well, that would be nice, Elaine, if it worked that way, but it doesn't. <laughs> and so you're a substitute teacher in CalSTRS, the state teacher's retirement system, um, and you're also in Social Security. So I would also double check to see how many years of service that you have in Social Security. 
and um, how many years that you have in CalSTRS. And if you're a substitute teacher, how much are you putting in? How much money are you making? What is the income? So there's there's more questions that I would like to dig into a little bit more to give you a better response to this. But here's how it works is that they're going to take a look at, all right, well, how many years of service that you have in Social Security versus how many years that you have in CalSTRS? Because when you are contributing into CalSTRS, you're not putting into the Social Security Administration anymore. You're just putting everything into the state teacher's retirement. And so there's something that's called the windfall elimination provision, uh, which uh, which the, the I guess Social Security came up with so you don't double dip or have this big windfall. So if you have this pension and you have Social Security, it's going to be dependent upon how many years that you have in Social Security versus STRS. And to help you with that calculation, you can go to ssa.gov and type in windfall elimination provision, and you can put in your numbers, and it will tell you what happens. But you will receive both. It's not like they're going to pay you Social Security, that runs out, then they're going to pay you CalSTRS or vice versa. It's going to be one payment, or it's going to be two payments from both of those organizations, and they will pay you for the rest of your life. Your Social Security benefit will probably be reduced just because you're getting also a CalSTRS pension. Uh, but with the information they gave us, that's the best I can do. All right, that's it for us. For Big Al Clopi and I'm Joe Anderson. The show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. Thanks a lot for listening. So to recap today's show, wait, are you actually listening to the recap? Yeah, I didn't think so. Let's get right to the thanks and disclosures. Special thanks to our guest, Paul Merriman. For more of his wit, wisdom, and insight on investing, visit paulmerriman.com. That's P-A-U-L-M-E-R-R-I-M-A-N.com. Subscribe to the podcast at yourmoneyyourwealth.com, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcatcher. And hey, thanks for the great ratings and reviews at iTunes. We do read them and we do appreciate them. If you've got a burning money question for Joe and Big Al to answer live on Your Money, Your Wealth, email it to info at purefinancial.com or call 888-994-6257. Listen next time for more Your Money, Your Wealth presented by Pure Financial Advisors. For your free financial assessment, just visit purefinancial.com. Say it with me now. Pure Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full and informed investment decision.